Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. I am your host, Tim Silverwood. This is part two of the conversation with professional big wave surfer and corporate keynote speaker, Mark Matthews. In part one of the conversation, uh, we talk a lot about Mark and what it is that he does, how he has found himself shifting across from a, a life focused on big wave surfing to now being revered and high demand for corporates all across Australia and around the world. And in part two, we go a little bit deeper. We start to learn a lot more about the references and resources that Mark himself has learnt to adopt to understand himself and how he is using those to help inspire and educate others. And of course, there's lots of links and references. So if you're looking for those links and references, be sure to head to the Ocean Impact Org website where you can find that information. We really thank Mark for his time. Hopefully you found this as thrilling and invigorating as I did, getting to share this moment with Mark. If you like the podcast, please write a review, share it around, and tell your friends. Thanks for tuning in to the Ocean Impact Podcast. I'm interested, like a lot of this conversation is around um, an experience, right? You know, you see that swell chart, you know, in a week, and that's when, you know, you need to then start that really dedicated preparation. And I'm thinking in a work environment, a corporate environment, like sure, there might be an event coming up or a promotion or an opportunity that they didn't be doing it. But then I'm thinking that, a lot of those corporate environments you're going into and the people that you're talking to, are they not in a hyper-stressed and tested environment kind of every day of the week? Like I'm imagining those full-on elite-level corporate roles. So what is the difference between living constantly in this state versus it being sort of periodical? Like you might go for what, half a dozen big wave trips a, a year when you're in your prime. So how do the two kind of correspond in that regard? Yeah, I think it, like when I say you do the preparation in the week lead up, that's just the specific preparation for that particular trip. It's like, where's the nearest hospital? Like, can I get a helicopter to that location to get out if something goes bad? Who's my safety team there? How many jet skis do I have? Where are they positioned? When I black out underwater, where are they going to take me to resuscitate me? Like, that's the specifics. But the, the preparation to surf big waves is done your entire life. It's like, it's, it's all the training, it's the surfing, it's the skill set. And in that way, that's what corporate people are doing. You know, like you're building your skill sets to be valuable to the company that you work for. And the, the big wave swells, thanks to amazing forecasting technology, ends up being like anywhere from 10 to 25 a year now originally it started out it was only about four or five which was way more manageable (laughs) then all of a sudden it's like way more so it's like every month something big coming up and and the example is like it might be the big big sales pitches that you have like big opportunities that are coming for your company big you know like all these different little pieces of the puzzle is where it it really relates Mm. um i think the part that's way more heightened for 
for corporate people is is the interpersonal conflict that that surrounds that type of work environment that's that's in a way unavoidable like it's because you, you create this environment it's like the company's success is the paramount rule of law because if that like within the game that you're playing because if that doesn't happen none of you have a job you know so that's that's put at top so what are all the things that the company needs to be you know successful and then it's like so it's it's all these different positions functioning as they do and then it's like you've got all this talent but the, the talent might want these different positions that there's only one you know for every thousand people that are working there or whatever the odds are so there's natural competition within that environment um which is a good thing as well but then you have that that heightened interpersonal conflict you know which is fuck man that that must be really tough to deal with like dealing with different personality traits and all that that sort of stuff but the same fundamental things apply it's like get to know yourself really well. Like I, I got like a, a series of things that I did that was so valuable for me to learn about myself, which basically f gives you all the tools, like forges the, the um, everything you need to deal with stress. And it's like the, the best ones I did was like IQ tests. You can find that online. Like, understand your IQ and what aspects of IQ that you can develop and get stronger at. Like not all of them you can, but, but certain ones you can like language comprehension, all, all those pieces of IQ. So, so know how smart you are for one thing. It's valuable. Um, the other ones were like personality trait profiling. There's a, a website you can do that on called understandmyself.com. It gives a really good big five personality trait. So then you understand like, the way you view the world and it gives you an understanding of how other people view the world. And they're all genetically predetermined traits that you have and they stay stable across time. So it's like you can navigate life based on the knowledge that you have with, of those traits. Um, the other ones were, there's a really good one self authoring suite. That's like a, a series of questions that like a writing task that pulls out of you what's valuable to you. And if you do that and then that will force you to forge a, a plan for your life and what's important and what's not important. So it's kind of like when you do all of those and then probably the final one is kind of like a, like, like more the, like your core values as a human being, like tr tr trying to figure out what they are. A couple of questions that, that can help you do that. It's like, it's like who, who's the people that you know personally that you admire, like not necessarily famous people because you don't know the intricate details of their life. You know, you, you can do it with famous people and you might see attributes that you admire, but then admire that one attribute, you know, like not necessarily the life, but so it's like, who do you admire and who do you detest? And, and when you do that and write down those people, write down the things about them. And then you can find characteristic traits that you truly value, whether that's like uh, loyalty, you know, trust, hard work, um, being clever, whatever they might be, you know, and then, and then, you know, that. So once you've 
the more fully formed you are and, and have knowledge about yourself, then going into that tough work uh, corporate environment that's full of that interpersonal conflict, you just have the tools to navigate it. And you know, you know what you'll put up with, what you won't put up with. So I think those same things apply across the board, whether it's you're a professional athlete doing something as silly as chasing big waves or whether you're in a corporate environment working or whether you're a startup entrepreneur. I think they're just the subset of what make people be able to deal with the stresses of life, basically. When did you know you had such leadership qualities? Did they sh- when, is there a, part of, a time in your life when you just started to realise, shit, I've actually got a lot of life experience and I've got an ability to to communicate it, having done the work on myself? Like, when did it really start to, to come out? Um, I, I kind of still don't think it now. <laughs> like, I just share what I like hearing, basically. Um, it, it's a hard one because everyone always has that imposter syndrome. Like, you're never good enough to fill that role. And, and I fight against it. Um, mm. I, I just think I have specific... Like I have knowledge that's worked for me in, in these certain environments and these certain aspects of my life. But it's like, you learn quick smart that you don't know everything. Like I just had a baby and it's like, now all of a sudden I have a much greater appreciation and understanding for people who have had, who have kids. And then if you've got kids and you're working and you do it like, you know, like you constantly, I'm constantly learning, but I just like to share the things that I've learned and that have worked for me. And for sure, they're not for everyone. But and 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 people in different stages of their life where they don't need to hear what I'm saying. Like they're leagues ahead of me in in what they're doing in life. You know, it's um. But then some people do. So it's like I I I try and that's the thing in my head that to try and make it easier for me to get up on stage and talk to people about this stuff. It's like, okay, there's definitely people in this room that are not going to give a shit about what I'm saying, right? For sure. And, and some of them are going to be sitting there and they're going to be spewing that they even have to sit there and listen to me. Right. But if that's going to be my focus, then I'm never going to get up and do it. You know, I, I just focus that if I get one, two, three, 10%, 20% of people in that room, and even if I only make a 1% difference, then that's better than nothing, you know? So um, I try and just focus on that. And, but to your question, it's like, I, I like as far as I think everyone is a leader, you know, like, cause you all have shared knowledge. It's more like leaders are more like you have, all have your own experience. I think leaders become good leaders when they develop a toolkit to be able to communicate what they know. Do you know what I mean? Cause then you, you can lead like, cause if you, live for a certain amount of time on the planet you have experience you know and and if you're constantly trying to better yourself do all the right things then you have the experience but it's like the toolkit to be able to pass on what you've learned and and that's what i'm trying to learn you know that's it's and it's not easy but that that's what i'm trying to learn is that toolkit to just tell people about what works for me yeah look um I'm going to, I'm going to push you on the fact like you're screw the imposter syndrome. Like you are a, a massive leader. And I just think about 
those 1%, 10%, 20% of all those people that you've interacted with over the years and the lasting impact that you've had. Um, and, you know, a huge thing for us as Ocean Impact Organisation, as we support as many entrepreneurs and founders and accelerate as many startups as possible, is mentorship. It is the ability to line people up with people who've got that experience, who've got that little gap that the other person has to just help them grow into their, their best version of themselves. Um, do you have any profound mentors that you've had throughout your life or is there any experiences where you've mentored others that stand out to talk about mentorship? Oh, for sure. I try and find them in, in all the different like uh, roles or silos of my life, like different people for different one. Like when I um, look in the speaking world, I, I try and find the best speakers or facilitators or coaches and, if it's accessible to me, I'll try and work with them. And like I pay when, when I first started speaking, cause I knew how valuable that was from, from surfing as well. And, and just in everything I do, just learning from people who are doing it the best. I, I spent almost my life savings at that point to work with the best people to develop my skill set as a, as a speaker. Like it's that important to, to find those people. And, but the, the beautiful thing about the internet is like, you can, you can access like these phenomenal role models, you know, and, and information, so much information. You, you can't believe it on every topic under the sun, you know? So it's kind of, it's more, I think being able to filter out negative influences like, it, and, and that's all again about under learning about yourself, setting, you know, that, that goal structure or what you want to achieve. Cause then that will highlight what are the negative versions of a role model that you just don't want to listen to and, and being able to filter like all the crazy amounts of information into what you really need for your journey in life. Cause you just got to be able to get rid of all the other noise. And as soon as you get rid of all the other noise, it like your, your learning ability goes through the roof. And, and it's just valuable then because you're learning stuff that's taken you on that path. But if you don't know what the thing is that you're chasing, then you can't filter it out. You know, you, you have no idea. Um, so role models like uh, my mom has always had this constant um, motivation for learning things. And she like, and, and it's not like learning to be the best at something. She just loves like, picking up a hobby doing it and crafting and seeing the value of a, of a skill getting better you know like and and i think that's really sunk into me like as far as it's so valuable to have those little things where you can just pick up skills develop a skill and get the enjoyment from just developing skills you know and um whether it's like playing music or or a writing skill or what whatever it is you know i think that like as far as that's had one of the biggest influences on me. My dad, um, he's sort of moral compass and character. He's a surgeon. And, and I can remember the period in my life where for whatever reasons we were kind of struggling financially and he was offered um, like jobs doing plastic surgery. Like, and he would have made untold monies becoming, taking his skill set, moving into to plastic to, to the plastic surgery field. Like, but he was, he 
declined it because he knew that he wouldn't be happy down the line doing that. And it was what he did to, to help people save their lives and stuff is, was more valuable to him. So it was like that, that character trait, you know, from him, the one from my mom, like, and then the insights into public speaking from this one person, like, I think if you just have like that, you have a whole list of people and their attributes that you admire, you know, that, that then can help govern your decision-making and your actions, you know, Mm. a couple but more you, questions you, you, you'll never you'll never find those people unless you do the work you know that introspective work on on who who you are now and who you want to be in the future you know that's basic psychology that's what a clinic a clinical psychologist will sit you down and go you know what's going on in your life tell me about yourself what what happened in the past but the most importantly they'll go okay so well, where do you want to go what do you want to do you know like an that's the most fundamental questions that can help you. <laughs> so the, the version to do it, if you don't have access to a good psychologist is do it for yourself, you know, ask the questions of yourself. I think that's going to be a really standout lesson from today's, um, today's podcast and really appreciate all those links and mentions that you made before. Yeah. If we, if, like if we can write them down for people, I just like, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I'm like, I want to know specifically what I can go and do next. Yeah, there's another one. There's a, a course ra.com has courses on everything from every big university under the sun. And you can do like these overview courses that are, are phenomenal. And I would say um, like a, in what we're talking about in the motivation space, there's one and it would only take you like eight, 10 hours to do its um, self-determination theory it's a really good one in encompassing good pieces of psychology, packaging it well and understanding what really truly motivates you. I'd, I'd have a look at that one. If people want to get, get on a good pathway, you know, I wish I learned that stuff when I was like early twenties might've been too young, but like 25 or so it's uh, real valuable. We're going to wrap things up soon, mate. But I did just, um, when you were talking about interpersonal conflict, um, my mind was drifting off to, you know, the brotherhood of surfing and particularly big wave surfing. And that's been sort of well communicated. Lots of stories emerging around that incredible brotherhood, despite the fact that you're so driven to get the best wave of the day and to get the best shot and the most eyeballs on your, um, your exploits. So brotherhood, I'd like to talk about that. But I'd also guess um, one sort of question which I'm really keen to ask is how different would your life have been if you hadn't have moved to Maroubra when you were a teenager? Man, I don't like radically different, of course. Um, I think that's what got me into big wave surfing more than anything else. I think, I mean, my personality traits and the things that govern a lot of my decision-making I would have had regardless, but it was just like the exposure to the sport of big wave surfing, the exposure to what's possible in big wave surfing, because I was growing up with like Kobe Abernon, for example, and then a whole series of other surfers from Maruba that it's like, it was just part of their mandate to prove your courage in the surf, you know, and that's what I grew up with. And that was so valuable to me. It's like, 
yeah, you can put your courage to the test and your hard work to the test in the water, you know, like that. And that's such a positive um, sort of outlet for when you're a young, young kid to do that. It's spilled over on into like negative shit, like and and fighting and violence and all all of that. And that's unfortunate, you know, route that that sort of positive mentality took. Um, but yeah, I, w- I would have never, I would never gotten into the sport of big wave surfing. I don't think. Is that similar in other? It's hard to know for sure, but like that 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 was it was like a doing an apprenticeship with the best in the business at such a young age was. Like that's, mm. you, you wanted to do a business one. It's like growing up next door to, I don't know, whoever the most successful business person in your field is, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty is that, valuable. Is that similar in other big wave cultures around the world that there's, um, there's that sort of exertion of courage as a result of, um, you know, a peer group? Is that, is that indicative of, from what you've seen of other big wave communities around the world? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, like people pretend it's not and that it's all just about riding the waves and the feeling of riding the waves. Well, that's like a huge part of it too. I think um, any sort of, I mean, you could go across any sort of really dangerous feat that's not hunting and bringing food back for your family. It's kind of like, it's, it's on one hand proving your, courage to the group because people are hearing about it or watching it or whatever but you, there's also the intrinsic value of you're putting your skills to the test in the you know like it's it's too complex to say that it's it's just about you know that external viewpoint of wanting to impress people like it's way too complex there's so, so many different factors that go into it but i guarantee you that's a part of it you know like mm. people like to pretend that they don't do things for for the the part that's like they get that ego enjoyment out but they're fooling themselves man that stuff's so bit like subconscious that stuff's built into your the way your nervous system functions like you're constantly viewing the world through lenses of where you're positioned in human competence hierarchies like you, you that's the way you see the world and your nervous system and the way it produces positive <coughs> neurochemicals that offset emotion like dopamine serotonin like those nervous systems are attuned to where you fit within a a a group of humans on a competence scale you know like so to pretend that you like don't care about what people think of you (laughs) full of shit (laughs) like you you, it's good to manage definitely but yeah you're you're full of shit you're most likely care so much of what people think of you that you want them to think that you don't care what they think because that's then your persona like and you're on the hierarchy of people that don't care what other people think you know like it's it's to try and fool yourself is you're banging your head against the wall it's more about like using it you know like using use the motivation that's there about that it shouldn't be a single motivation but it's like if that's a course of motivation to prove your courage, it's like, okay, that's good. I can put my skill set to the test here. One, one positive is that, that I get feedback from my, my peer group, which is great. But then it's also, how can I take what I'm doing there and um, use it for the good, the benefit of the group, you know, or the benefit of society or the benefit of my family or the benefit, you know, like that, then you're starting to like, 
forge like the pieces of, of motivation and human psychology for the better of the group. And I think that's what I've, and, and maybe that naturally happens as you get older, but I think that's what I've been fortunate enough to be able to do with speaking. Cause it's like, to me, this is more, what's it called? Like I feel a lot better about doing what I'm doing now than I did when I was getting paid it good money to be a professional big wave surfer. Like in, intrinsically, I feel a lot better. And I probably like now put more hours into this than I did surfing, you know, like because you feel better about it, you know, but mm. who knows? I might not feel that way if I didn't have all the experiences of surfing big waves. It's, it's way too complex, I think. But. Back to the brotherhood. And I think it touches on that, right? Because the ego and I would, I'd imagine that the ego and the hierarchy would lead to that situation where there's people out there amongst the brotherhood that maybe you don't like, or maybe you don't get along with, or maybe there's a little aberration in your relationship. But when you're out there in those environments, suddenly the pack I'm assuming just galvanizes around that level of responsibility that you all share for the pack. You want to tell us a little bit about what's really special about that brotherhood of, of big wave surfing. Yeah. I think like, it's like I, you'd have to go like in like, and it's not my specialty, but you go into like the, the psychology behind tribalism, you know, like, and why it's so valuable, why it's so motivating. And, and then it's kind of like, as long as it's steered in the right direction, it can be valuable, but it's like, it has to be like, and not to get too abstract, but it has to be like the individual has to be, the the focus point within the tribes you know like and and the understanding that you're all different but you're all working towards a sort of common movement or common good or but if the individual and the sanctity of individuals isn't isn't like the foremost ideal then tribalism goes real pear-shaped real fast but in surfing it's like I think you naturally come together and on shared experience. Like that's the, like if there's three main, you know, needs, psychological needs is like autonomy, relatedness and competence and relatedness is like that huge piece that you're, you're having shared experience with your community doing something, you know? And um, I think in surfing we just all have that like you have this crazy love for this lifestyle and sport that you do and it just brings people together sure there's competition in the water for the waves like fuck that's human nature like that's that's what happens it's just the way it is but but you know deep down in yourself like and i can even look back at my career the i reckon the more memorable moments in my career now like once i'm further removed from it uh, when I've taken someone who was terrified about going to surf a huge wave and I take them, coach them into surfing a big wave and then they get the biggest wave of their life. Like they're actually more memorable moments to me than, than the waves I rode myself. And, and like that, that, that's a natural part of like human psychology as well. So it's like, it's nice to know that, you know, like you compete to get your waves, but know that you probably will feel pretty damn good if you like, maybe give up one wave for, for, for someone or you get someone, you know, <laughs> the, the best wave that they've caught that day is, is um, a pretty good way to sort of manage that friction in the water. I mean, I'm living at snapper and 
surfing rainbow bands for us like never seen more crowd but it's fascinating that there isn't that like there isn't more friction than there is and i think that's a testament to you have a shared experience shared love for the ocean like there's so many commonalities between everyone that's out there you know good point Hey, I just want one more question and then we'll wrap it up. I mean, um, we are an environmental organisation out to help planet ocean. And um, as much as the subject today was not going to be about that, it was about you and, um, and all that you've got to offer or your wisdom. But do you have any attitudes um, to share about the ocean, any concerns or about, um, you know, planetary issues more broadly? Oh, I feel like just because it's so far removed from what I, I sort of look into and study, I like, I usually like to leave it up to the experts. I mean, I feel really good about minimizing my footprint as much as, as I can. Um, my, my good mate, Dan Ross just started an awesome company, uh, one for life, I think it's called like, so glass bottles to minimize plastic waste in the ocean. I did hear an awesome stat today, which is a silver lining of the, um, what we're going through, which was like this, I think it's 40 high for 48% less plastic water bottle use since the, since the lockdowns. Like so people aren't a, mobile maybe and not going out people and, grabbing, aren't mobile it and grabbing it from the shop. Like they're at home. So they're just drinking water out of a tap. Been offset by plastic face masks and everything else. <laughs> See, yeah, got yeah, that's the radical thing. I yeah. did hear once, uh, uh, can't remember the talk it was it was a while ago but it was showing the value of taking doing whatever you can do to get people out of poverty and get mm -hmm. get countries and eco economies out of poverty and then their relationship with the environment becomes a lot more important and and the guy's whole talk was the importance of using that as a tact to help the environment for, for a multitude of levels, man, he, the, the details that they went into and why it's valuable, even to the point of like, it's like as wealthier nations have less kids. Like, so it's like all of a sudden the, the, the population demand on the earth is, is lower, like just from bringing up, making people wealthier, which was, I never even thought of it like that. Like, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, that, that was, that, 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 that was really interesting to me. And then nice. I think like he had a really balanced or this might've been someone else, but there was a, a balanced view of like, while a lot of negative environmental impact is, is greed and stuff like that, like corporate greed and even us as individuals wanting to live really comfortably. Like he was explaining that the, the relationship with nature and the environment is actually more, like the what and what we do to the environment is more predicated over a long period of time on that nature in itself has been so brutal to survive within. And, and the premise is that you're cr trying to create comfort and security by altering the environment across time. So it's not like while the greed and all that is bad, but it, it has to be an understanding. I think that goes to then helping people economically is like, once you get people that level of, of comfort and security, then they start to view nature differently. Whereas it's like, if you went back 500 years or further, it's like you were watching like eight of your 10 children die in your hands due to some 
you know, nature caused death, like an infection or, or like an animal killing your kid or like, you know, so the, the viewpoint of like your relationship with nature was totally different. But as you become more secure due to awesome technological advancements, due to, 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 to wealth, better functioning societies, then you can get a better perspective on what nature gives you, you know, like, and I just thought, man, that was, that was a cool way to like, it was a different way to hear um, our interaction with the environment compared like, cause the standard one is greed is what's killing the world. Like mm. where it's more, I think now that as we've become further technologically advanced, further developed and, and you, you, you're ridding the world of, of hunger and starvation and, and all these different types of things, then I think you humans will do a radical 180 on the way they treat the planet. I think because the, the, the psychology will change and you can see it happening with, with people like you and what you do and, and all your community, you know, like that's the shift, you know, and, and it's only in the last couple of generations where, where we actually realize how much damage we're doing because science has gotten good enough that you're like, hold, hold on a minute. You actually are fucking up the world, you know, like, whereas people just thought oceans were so big that you, no human, you know, whatever humans do, there's no way you could affect something, an organism that big, you know, whereas you're only just realizing it now. So while we're pretty slow moving in fixing it, I still, I'm pretty optimistic that humans can fix it, you know. I'm going to wrap it um, up and bring it full circle to your beautiful young daughter, Matilda, and I'm not sure whether it was the the resource you were referring to or not, but you know, Paul Hawken, who, who did a big body of research called Drawdown, and it was all these techniques and tools that humans can utilise to start to not just stop carbon pollution, but draw it down. And the single most valuable thing we could do is to empower young women and empower and educate women would be the most empowerful thing. So exactly to your point there about drawing people out of poverty, if we shift the focus and engage and empower women, the world will be transformed in a couple of generations' time. Yeah, it'd be interesting to hear the details of how that plays out because I'm sure one of them would be like the one I was listening to. It's like women have only just joined the workforce, you know, like all of a sudden they've got careers and stuff like that. So there's not even time to have more children, you know. And that was the other part that I was Education. amazed at because I always thought like there's going to be way too many people on the planet for the planet to sustain that that many people but but then there's a lot of uh scientists that actually believe that because we're bringing women into the workforce and and lessening poverty that the population is actually going to start going backwards eventually mm -hmm. because you only have like two people only have one kid or on average one and a half kids you know and then all of a sudden it's like they, they start to get concerned about that. So it's like, and then nature starts I'm to like, claim it back. It is too complex for me. I'll leave it up to the experts and do <laughs> small things that I can do to, um, to help out. All right, mate. Well, I've really, really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I'm sure everyone who's tuned in and made it to this point of the podcast has, um, I'll leave it for you with any final words and where you want to send people to, to follow you or find more information. Uh, yeah, just reach out to us on, on LinkedIn. That's kind of the, one social media platform I actually communicate with people on. So if you want to know anything, um, if you want, if I can help out in any way or whatever endeavors that your young entrepreneurs are doing or <clears throat> the businesses that are out there, please let me know. Um, I do do a big portion of the speaking work that I do for different charities. I kind of, 
I've said this much is for charities and, and whether it's environmental organizations or kids charities or anything like that, just uh, reach out and if I can help, I definitely will. All right, Mark Matthews, thank you so much for your time, mate. No worries. Thanks for having us.